Hello and welcome to episode 55 of the Movies in a Podshell podcast. The podcast where the co-host very rarely turns up. So as usual, we're going to call it usual now. I'm joined by Kim again. Say hello, Kim. Hello. Thanks for having me back. Well, thank you for agreeing to come back, which means that's a good sign, right? Oh, definitely. It's always a pleasure. Never a chore. So yeah, always happy to come on. Brilliant. This is the podcast where we take a film, we pick a theme to fit that film, and then we, we talk about them. And uh, this week's theme is 1970s book adaptations, obviously into films, because this is a film podcast. Anyway, we're going to crack on as always. Um, but Kate Reviews Films writes in, and she, she starts off the podcast by saying, best movies you guys have watched recently. Kim, what have you been watching recently? Um, so I've been a bit lackluster with a lot of kind of not so great and average, but there's a few bangers in there that I've enjoyed in the last couple of weeks. Um, probably my favourite, and I have told you about this already, is Project Wolf Hunting um, by Kim Hong Sun from last year. I think it's only being released this year, though. It's on Amazon to rent. Um it's like some 90s action, horror, martial arts, gore fest. I don't, I don't even know what to describe it as. Sounds like the, um, you can describe it as the best thing ever because that's what it sounds like. It, it is so much fun. It is so gory. Um, every sort of injury that happens, there's just blood spraying out like a hose pipe. It is so over the top, but a lot of fun. Uh, maybe slightly too long, but. You can't really not enjoy it if you like action or gore, really. So that was um, really enjoyable. Um, on a completely different tone, I watched Story of Women, a French film from the 1980s with Isabelle Hooper. I don't, I don't know how to pronounce the name. Hooper. 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 Know, he knows. It sounded um, crazy. That sounded French, what I just did. So, so that's by Claude Shabal, I want to say. Um, it's on movie. Claude. Sorry. <laughs> I'm not going to get with the accents. I can't do it. Um, it's on movie. Yeah, it's on movie at the moment. Um, it's quite heavy. Um, it's about a... She, it's in the World War Two, I believe. And she is basically a back alley abortionist. Um, so wow. it's not the most pleasant film, but it's not overly heavy. Like, it doesn't go too far um but that that was really good um and then a rewatch which i loved because i've been watching all the evil deads lately i was like i'm gonna watch another sam raimi film went for quick and the dead haven't seen it in ages and that was yeah just as much fun as i remembered but is this the one with um i want to say i want to say uh what's the woman from why well, can't I remember her name catwoman sharon stone yes is it no is it sharon yes. stone yeah she's in catwoman but better known for Basic Instinct, I would say. No, She's Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer. Well, Michelle Pfeiffer is Catwoman in the better film, whereas so Sharon Stone Sharon... is in the Halle Berry Catwoman movie. Oh, right. So, okay, so that that was well confusing because I, I for, for whatever reason, I don't know why, but I often get Michelle Pfeiffer mixed up with Sharon Stone. And so that's what I just did. <laughs> I just did that. And then you said, so I know Michelle Pfeiffer is definitely in Catwoman. And you said mm. Sharon Stone's in Catwoman. So I was like, what do you mean? I meant, I meant Batman Returns. But um, so Sharon Stone is also in Catwoman. So, yeah, she's in the crappy the three out of ten. one. Yeah, okay. Yeah, not Batman Returns. Um, okay. That's hilarious. But yeah, 
and Baby Leo and Russell Crowe, Gene Hackman. Honestly, the cast is ridiculous. So, yeah, that was a good rewatch. It's been a long time since I've seen that one. So, um, but they're the only kind of really good ones I've seen. I watched a lot of rubbish. So, what about you? We can talk about the rubbish in a sec. So, I've yeah. I've actually been doing like quite a lot of rewatching, to be honest. Um, so I rewatched the Batman. Um, the recent Batman, as in the Batman. Yeah. So yeah. So actually, yeah. speaking speaking of Catwoman and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I watched the Batman. Um, uh, yeah, because I bought it on 4K, so I wanted to just like have it, like you know, I just I was I was saving it for my friend coming around, and um, because I just wanted to make like a night of it, and um, and yeah, it's it's great. But the problem was we'd already watched two other films, so it was a really bad time to put it on, and I was yeah. very tired. So I, I mean, I feel like it, I, I didn't it didn't hit quite as much as it did the first time, probably, um, but it, I still loved this. It. It's still great. Like I I'm st- I still love that. That entry into the Batman series. Um let me know what I was telling everyone what it's about because you know, go and check the Batman spoiler cast we did at some point. Um and then I, I rewatched The Gentleman, which um I actually love that film. I think it's the best thing that um Guy Ritchie, the best thing Guy Ritchie's done since Snatch, to be fair. Um and I just think Hugh Grant has come into this phase of like a caricature and he's he's so funny. Um, that I felt I think that's a great comedy. To be in all honesty, uh, twenty nineteen, um, definitely worth checking out. Charlie Hunnam as well is puts on his northern accent, which is not quite as bad as his accent from Green Street. But do you know what I mean? We'll, we'll take it. <laughs> he's fun. He's funny. So we'll take it. Um, there's a lot of the lot of use of the see you next Tuesday, which um, I don't know. It's just there's just something really funny in a British film when people keep using dropping the C bomb. Um, I see. I've not seen it yet. I've been off. off. No, because I haven't seen a lot of Guy Ritchie. To be fair, um, I'm trying to think what I have seen. I've seen Snatch. Have you seen Aladdin? <laughs> I have. Yes. I've seen Rock and Roller. Yeah. Um, you seen Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels? No. No. He's I a mean... bit of a blind spot for me, but he's done so much crap lately i've just been a bit like oh but snatch i did enjoy yeah um but i have i need to watch the gentleman because i have heard it's a return to his how much did you enjoy snatch i really enjoyed it i it was i watched it a while ago probably like two years ago now but i did really like it yeah it was funny but um you've seen sherlock holmes oh yeah yeah i have seen that i've I've seen a lot of the kind of more Hollywood stuff. Yeah, you've seen the the not Guy Ritchie stuff. Yeah, <laughs> which is well so. funny. Um, I, I mean, so the gentleman is on Netflix at the moment. If you're in the UK, yeah. um, I would I would highly recommend that. I, this is the second time I've seen it, and I really enjoyed it. Um, one that people will probably um slate me for that I do actually also love, which I bought on 4K, hence why I watched it again, was um Alita Battle Angel from uh, Robert Rodriguez. Um, I I just think it's. It's good fun as well. 2019 was a great year for film. Such a good year. Wasn't I it? really enjoyed Alita as well. Oh, you did? Like, okay, good. It was... Because it's not that long, is it? Like In my head, I feel like it's only three hours, but it's not. It's like 100 minutes. Bang on two isn't hours. Isn't it? Yeah, bang and on two hours. And it feels like a bit of a return to kind of like that late 90s adventure sort of stuff, but you just don't get any more. Sorry, we got the uh, got the police outside, if anyone can <laughs> hear that. That's Sorry. well loud. Um, it's, it been, it's been last a few episodes. It's been a, it happened last time. Exactly, yeah. We, we can't have an episode <laughs> without sirens. Just funny because 
actually what I do is I, I, I call the police before I had this episode just to, um, anyway. So yeah, no, Elite is great. Um, and Christoph Waltz is, is as he always is, just dead consistent. Um, oh, I love it. I just, I just think the action's really good. And I, I think I didn't realize, I mean, I feel like it's quite underrated because when I was looking, when I logged it on Letterboxd and I was looking at what everyone has it as, it's like, it's just 3.2 on Letterboxd and most of the people that I know have like, give it like two, two and a half stars. I was like, what film did you watch? So I did find it quite peculiar. Um, so yeah. Um, and then I tell you what, I did watch a couple of first time watches. Um, I watched, um, JSA from Park Chan-wook. Oh, good, right? So I actually got that because you sent me a uh, a sale that Arrow were doing. So I was like, okay, well, oh, we'll nice. Nice. so I bought JSA, which is Joint Security Area. Area, there you go. Um, which is a really interesting film, but of course it would be because it's Park. And it was one of the one of the films from Park that I hadn't seen, one of the more well-known ones. Um, and to, well, I say well-known, it's not, it's not that well-known for him, but he's, he's, he's got quite a big back catalogue that isn't really that available but yeah jsa mm. um it's just essentially about uh two sides of uh north korean and south korean army kind of at at the border fighting each other and they they well two the a few a few of the armies become well soldiers become friends and start hanging out with each other and it kind of starts off at the end of the film and works its way backwards it's, it's really it's really interesting as park chan works films always are so yeah, I've got to say I enjoyed that. And sorry, last one. I watched Gone Baby Gone, uh, Ben Affleck's first directorial debut. Um, I loved it. I, th- I, I was, I've not seen anything from Ben Affleck at all. Um, so I, yeah, I, for some reason I thought it was um, directed by Clint Eastwood, but then I realised I got mixed up with Million Dollar Baby. Um, so <laughs> two very different films um just they both got baby in it um so yeah this was always this is about a four-year-old girl that goes missing um in like a really rough brooklyn area and um ben's obviously give his brother some work so casey affleck is obviously starring in this alongside michelle monaghan and they're a couple that essentially try and uncover this case and it's a really good twisty turny thriller um yeah ed harris is in it and he's fantastic um and it's just it's a quite a surprising end so i would thoroughly recommend that have you seen it kim i've not seen it um to be honest i think i only realized it was directed by ben affleck until you posted about it it's one of them that i know about and i'm kind of like oh I'll watch it eventually and just have never got around to it um so i'll have to give it a go another one on netflix um, i i would again this so this is um it's just under two hours. Um, you feel like the film's ended at the hour mark. You're like, oh, it feels like it's all tying up, and then it just goes again. And it and it's I I was very very impressed by Ben Affleck's directing skills. It's, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's a it's really really good. And the um the kind of the end of it that that is a gut punch movie. Yeah. So, oh, I, yeah. Okay. Big time. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. Give it a go. I was left. Did you say that was the? Sorry, it was that was the first film by him that you've seen. Did you say? Yeah. Yeah. It's oh, right. so you've yeah. not seen the town then? That's really good. I enjoyed that a lot. Seen nothing. Not seen Argo. <laughs> I've not seen Air, which I do. I do fancy Air to be honest. Like I think that would be pretty good. Um. But yeah, like no, and uh, the town is supposed to be good as well. I think I watched maybe the first four minutes of it, then something happened, so I had to just turn it off and probably be an adult <laughs> um so so yeah that that's uh that's pretty much all of the good stuff i've been watching oh so i did want to talk about um a film that i told 
you to add to your watch list. Then I swiftly told you to take it off your watch list, <laughs> which was um, From Black, which I, I knew I'd jumped the gun on this. I was like, it's really funny because From Black is like a 2023 film. Um, it's on Shudder and it was basically, it it just come out like on the day that I'd added it to my watch list. And so obviously the people that had watched it, I don't know whether they might have had early screeners or whatever, but everyone's like, yeah, yeah, 3.5, four, four stars. And I'm like, yeah, 3.5 out of 10, four <laughs> out of 10. Cause I watched, I said to Kim, I was like, yeah, look at this, like from black, like it looks, it's supposed to be really good, blah, blah, blah. And so then, in fact, you've still got it on your watch list. <laughs> you should take it off. Um, so I'll still give it a go. I spent uh, my Friday night. I mean, it's it's 110 minutes. It could have been about 20 minutes. Um, it's a it's a slow burn. Yeah, that that 110 minutes was the longest two days of my life. Um, so so yeah, Kate, there you go. You've had the good and you've had the ugly. Did you have you watched any crap? You said you watched crap. What crap have you watched? Yeah, so one film I've been wanting to watch for ages after watching some like YouTube video about unknown horrors you should watch. Well, not unknown, but like, underseen. Um, so I watched Tourist Trap. Right. In okay. Seventy nine. I've heard a bit. Um, it's about a group of kids and I think kids, teenagers played by thirty year olds or whatever. Um end up at this kind of old abandoned roadside attraction museum thing with loads of mannequins and stuff which apparently are very lifelike but look they're not lifelike whatsoever um and just this crazy guy who like lives there and runs it and they all start dying very basic premise some of the stuff in it was quite creepy but it was just so so kind of low budget and rough around the edges and we could have made you reckon Huh? We could we could have made it with enough with enough budget. We could have made it. <laughs> Maybe I do think that it would benefit from a remake. I don't often say that because I find it quite annoying when things just get remade for the sake of it. Yeah, I think in those situations, that's when I'm happy. Like you've got a good concept and the right idea, but not the money or the kind of resources to make it. Because some of the scenes in it did creep me out because I don't like dolls and puppets and stuff yeah so it was almost there but then it just dragged on and was a bit like this is just rubbish now like i'm not <laughs> not invested in this and the characters are annoying tourist um, trap an ironic name to be honest because that's that's generally what happens isn't it you go on holiday you get stuck in a tourist trap and it's expensive and crap so it's an ironic <laughs> yeah. uh yeah um, what other crap you've been watching i watched the king's man you know the, oh, the third prequel one. Yeah, it started off well, but then it was very long. It was one of them where you think you've watched most of it and you pause it and you're like an hour in and there's still another hour to go. Um, So that was just a bit disappointing. It was fine. Like I wasn't like, I didn't hate it, but I really liked the first one, especially the second one's okay. This one was still not great. Um, And then I watched idiocracy for the first time which oh yeah before <laughs> did you like it it was kind of funny i guess in the sort of way that dude wears my car was funny but not as sense, good yeah see i quite enjoy dude wears my car because i grew up with it so it's got the nostalgia thing but this was just so beyond yeah kind the, of the dude wears my car with the um the i mean obviously the, the the two most iconic um scenes is obviously the one where he's like what does mine say dude yeah <laughs> But what does mine say? Sweet. But no, but dude, what is my Yeah, obviously that's that's hilarious. But then the the bit that's probably my favourite that we used to quote in school all the time was the bit with the drive through 
when they're yeah. in the drive through which is... <laughs> we used to quote that all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's brilliant. Like, so, yeah. Yeah, we used to... Um, yeah. And and I don't, I've not seen it probably since I was a teen, so I don't even know if it's any good anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, I can't remember the last time I watched it, but I think because you grew up with it, it's one of them that you might be like, oh, it's not the best, I but... Mean, I used to laugh at that all the time, so I would carry on watching it, no yeah. matter what I think. Coming from a person, me, who thinks Freddy Got Fingered is a five-star banger. Um, <laughs> yeah, we which probably is... love Idiocracy then, because I... I've seen it, no, I've seen it, yeah, yeah. So oh, I think, yeah, it's, yeah, I think okay. it's all right, like, it's 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 all right. Like, some, I think the, the problem with Idiocracy is the person that showed me it thought it was amazing, and so then showed me it, and I was like, wow, it's pure six out of ten. Um, yeah. But yeah, but Freddie Got Fingered, on the other hand, is a five-star banger. And uh, God, that's... Um, I, I've tried to show so many people that film and it's either a half-star for people or a five-star for people. And it's, there's no in-between. It's like, it's, yeah, just... I am the half-star person. I've, my friend did exactly the same. Yeah. She, I don't know why, but she absolutely loves Tom Green, fancies him, everything. Fancies him. Yeah, I, I don't even know. Um, and she was like, oh, can we watch this? She, so it was my birthday, right? <laughs> and she'd come to visit me. She was too hungover to get the train back. So she was like, oh, okay, I'll stay. It's your birthday. We can spend the day together. Made me watch Freddie Got Fingered on my birthday. And I'm like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. This is the worst birthday ever. <laughs> I mean, I, I still, yeah. I still like when I'm making cheese sandwiches, like just be like, do you want some more cheese on your cheese sandwich? Like, and just all the time, I'm just constantly, um, constantly quoting it, and just, uh, yeah, I feel like <laughs> whenever I pick up stuff, I'm like, I found the treasure. Like, it's just, yeah. Anyway, there's a certain type of idiot that likes Freddy Got Fingered, and it's me. Um, but we're not here to talk about that. Um, what a name for a film, by the way. How did that? How did that even get past anyone? And um, we're here to talk about. A, f- a film that I've been so excited for, banging the drum for quite a long time, and I hope I've got many people onto it. And um, and in fact, Kim managed to well put me onto the fact that it was showing quite early. And um, if you have a cinema special cinema card, which we both do have, um, the film is um, "Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret," um, and that's by Kelly Freeman Craig from 20, 2023. It's this year. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. I'm here to speak to you today about your changing body. The blood is released through the vagina. Please, do this one thing for me. Kim, what did you know about this film going into it? Um, not a lot. I knew it was by the same director as Edge of Seventeen, which I loved, so all in just on that basically um and then as more people started kind of seeing it, i then knew it was based on a book didn't know what the book was never heard of it then found out it was judy bloom and the only time i ever knew who judy bloom was was the reference in easy a <laughs> so that's all i had to go on um going in really so i went in fairly blind um and i loved it it was very charming yeah, I I think it's probably the best film I've seen this year, um, mm. by a by some margin really. And I, I don't think I've seen loads, but by some margin, um, I had no I had no idea I had no idea who Judy Bloom was. Um, obviously I had high anticipation from it because, um, 
Kelly Freeman Craig hasn't directed anything since 2016, and The Edge of 17 is, which we did, we've covered on a previous uh, pod, is one of my absolute favorites, like a coming of age, like she's she's she wrote and directed that, she's written, directed, and produced this. And it just seems like this is a second outing as a director, um, but as a, it seems that when she's in control of the writing and the direction, she just nails it. She just knows, she's got such a sharp wit, and she reminds me a little bit, and I'm probably like slightly off base, but I feel like because Amy Heckling is out of my life and she doesn't make films anymore, I feel like Kelly Freeman Craig could be the 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 piece of the, my heart has like a a Lego sized hole, and she is the piece of Lego that that will fit in there. Like, and um, I, I last night, obviously, we both seen it last night, and um, I absolutely I loved it. Like, it it made me feel so many emotions, and I had no idea what it was about because this is what I do. I just go into films and I don't look at any trailers, know nothing. I knew it was about religion and a little bit about it was a coming of age and yeah i just and it flew by 90 minutes mm-hmm. yeah one of the few films that could have been two hours it could have been two hours and and the criticism i have of it probably if if there was any would be that I, I would have liked it to have been a little bit longer and to maybe explore other things but this is a spoiler free uh discussion actually because the film is obviously out it's friday um so yeah um i um should we talk about what the film's about? Yeah. So it follows 11-year-old. 11 years old. She's 11 years old. Um, and her parents, Barbara and Herb, um, they moved to New Jersey from New York City. And it's basically just following Margaret as she joins a new school, makes new friends, discovers boys, girlhood, religion. There's a lot in there. Um but it balances it well, I think. Um, it's very kind of, I think, without, like, say, not going into spoilers, I think that that's kind of wraps it up, really, in terms of what it is and without going into detail. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, from, uh, it's, it's a very, so this book, this is based on a book um, by Judy Bloom, uh, published in 1970, definitely feels, I would imagine, completely timeless. Me, as a 34-year-old man watching it, I didn't feel out of place. I I feel like I laughed at all the all the bits everyone else would laugh at, and I just found it hilarious in many many ways. Um, in terms of that, Kim, like you you obviously being a woman, like how does how did it like how did that land for you? Like the humor and the the things that these were these girls were going through, um, and some of the some of the little bits in there, like um, they're, they're talking about getting their period, like menstruation, and um like what does you pick like oh my sister said my period smells like the monkey bars which i thought was absolutely hilarious um but those those little bits like what how did that um hit and i guess the yeah it was it took me back to being because in my friend group there was four of us as well and we were all a bit kind of we didn't have a nancy in our group i'll put that out there but we were all a little bit kind of awkward and nerdy and kind of kept ourselves to ourselves so that was really kind of close to home and but in terms of like the you know the girlhood side of it it was it was so well done and there was a lot that um I think maybe only girls would understand or find funnier or more emotional particularly stuff that happens between her and her mum or her grandmother and stuff like that but um I think they did balance it well, so we didn't hone in too much on being too specific. There were so many other themes and stuff to explore, so it was it didn't alienate anyone from it. Um, 
but yeah it did re- resonate a lot and there was times where i was like trying not to like cry my eyes out as certain little me things. oh definitely me too um, but yeah i yeah it was just it was bang on and like you say timeless like it there was nothing in it that felt 70 specific no. other than like the decor and all that sort of thing the yeah. music um so i think it is one of them that's going to be um a coming of age classic for sure because it will always be relevant yeah i think it's um so i was I, I actually went and um watched the judy bloom documentary well i did a lot of driving today so what i did is i listened to the the judy bloom documentary forever um it's quite sad really like and it it, it well it's sad and it's it's really uplifting it, it talks about um judy bloom apparently everyone just calls her judy bloom like she never like that's that's just her name um but uh yeah she 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 got she was started writing when she was um sort of early like late 60s um and just was rejected 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 and she she carried on going carried on going and um margaret the the, the book margaret like she'd released a couple of books before this someone gave her a chance and Margaret um, actually really kicked off her career and um, arguably the most important book she ever wrote. Like she wrote an, another um, classic called Forever. Like she sold millions upon millions of books. And um, she literally says in, in the letter that she wrote to a publisher that, that published Margaret that, oh, there's a lot of things in here that um, people are going to be really mad at. So there's so the book was actually, um, it's funny because one of my American friends um, actually was speaking to me about about the film and said that, that this film now in 2023 has done really badly in certain areas of America because um, of like the like really strong religious parts of America. It's done really, really badly. So um, the reason being is because Herb played by Benny Safdie um, is Jewish, who is, um, this is Margaret's mu- uh, Margaret's dad and then Margaret's mum played by um, help me. Rachel McAdams. <laughs> Rachel McAdams. Uh <laughs> So yeah, um, Barb, who plays Barbara, is um, Christian, um, and there is a basically that the parents have let um, Margaret choose her own religion. So you don't need to be Jewish, you don't need to be Christian, you, you get to choose. And this didn't go down well in terms of like when the book was released. So when the book was released in 1970, a lot of controversy. They they banned it in some places, um, mostly because it was a it's a young adult book, but in but because it talks about these things, but mostly the menstruation part as well. Um, and Judy Bloom on the documentary was saying that she believes like kids, which I don't know if I do agree with actually. She's like, people should be able to read anything. Like kids should be able to read anything. I think maybe, yeah, like within reason. Of, of yeah, course. I was going like, to say. You know I mean? with, within reason, like we ain't going to go book burning per se, you know. Um, <laughs> but it's, uh, so it was, it was banned in many places. And now still um, 53 years later, um, the film has bombed in some parts of America because um, of the of this aspect of it, the religious aspect, which I find like, and obviously I shared my own thoughts on it. Like I find it, one, I didn't know that was a thing. Um, and two, like in this country, like that, like in the UK, like I wouldn't think that would really happen at all. In And there's no areas of this country specifically that would boycott a film because of, because of that kind of thing. Um, yeah. So yeah, like I, I found it really interesting I found it's and and if you look at the most popular books in the 1970s, this is on every single list. Um, groundbreaking for the time, and I think uh, there's so many parts of and I'm I'm gonna read it myself. It's like 120 pages. I think you'd you'd literally get through it in a in a few hours. Um, but yeah, so Judy Bloom is like uh, a super influential author, it seems, 
Um, but that does bring me on to a, uh, a, a question from a film forager who writes in and says, Judy Bloom has been an iconic author for women of all ages. Name some of your other influential authors. Kim, who's influenced you as an author over the years? Obviously, oh. J.K. Rowling. God, let's not go there. Um, <laughs> I, I, see, I'm a bit bad when it's come when it comes to books. So, um, when I was a kid, I did rinse through Harry Potter, Twilight, all that stuff, and then Twilight's not on my list. I should have put it on my list. So I, I did. I I burnt through them like so quickly. But I've been really bad at reading in the last kind of 10 years. I'm just trying to get myself back into it. I'm on my second book since January. Like, it's terrible. What is it? Um, Any good? Um, it is good. It's Once by James Herbert that I'm reading at the moment. Oh, yes. The horror author. And yeah. lots of very strange eroticism in it. Cool. <laughs> so it's, I was reading on the train and it was just like, no, I can't read this. Is it one of those books much. with the, the man and the woman? It's got like a like a man that's like... Obviously, been on the sunbed, <laughs> six pack. You know those films that you nan, those books you nan, you nan definitely reads. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, it's not. It's like a horror fairy tale thing. It's all about fairies and stuff, but all the fairies are naked and grow into full grown women. And brilliant. It's, yeah, cool. lots of dodgy descriptions by um, a man about women that just are not real. Um, but we always get this. That this is like a classic fantasy trope. This is, by the way. I'll talk about fantasy books in a minute because this is my genre. But anyway, yeah, sorry. Um, but I guess kind of overall, the person I've read and enjoyed the most, it's a bit cliche, but Stephen King is probably my most read author. Uh, my favourite book is by him, The Stand. Um, oh, that big chunky boy. It's 1,200 <laughs> pages or something outrageous. Oh, if not longer. Um, it's bigger than it. Um but I read that on holiday. I went away for like two weeks and I just read it for the whole holiday and it was great. Um, but in terms of like influential, I don't know if that's too strong a word. I just really like him. <laughs> I don't know. Um, well, Al, I think that's probably it for me because I'm such a terrible reader. So mm. bad, isn't it? It's not bad. So I've got, I mean, I've got a few here. Um, so, I mean, I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast before, but... I I think the obviously when I was growing up I I would just read like Goosebumps and stuff so R L Stein <laughs> I wouldn't say he's influential anyway but that's what I was reading but then one day I was in my town centre and I would just like just I used to, was I was like a nan kid do you know what I mean like just, just hang around with my nan and stuff like <laughs> well funny so um and she like we were up in town me and my nan and she's like oh like do you want to we'll just go into this like second hand shop here because she liked to go around the second hand shops. And I went in and um, I was just like looking at the books and I seen a book and it was The Hobbit. Um, had never heard of it in my life, had no idea what it was. I was about probably 11 at the time. Um, and I was like, oh, man, can I get this? It's like I had a dragon on the front with a little man, which was obviously Bilbo. Um, and I took it home and I read about elves and dwarves and dragons for the first time in my life. And genuinely, I, I, do you know when you... I always, I always think like it's quite sad, like life is quite sad because when you read something for like read your favorite thing for the first time or do your favorite thing for the first time, that probably means you're going to, you, you're essentially going to have that feeling. It's never going to be as strong as that ever again. And so me reading The Hobbit, reading about all these things for the first time, I was like, this is just the most incredible magical thing ever. And that, that was, I would say J.R. Tolkien is probably the person that got me into, as he did everyone else, got me into that kind of thing. And then 
obviously J.K. Rowling. Like I, I think I, I started reading Harry Potter when the Prisoner of Azkaban came out. So I started reading them from the one, the two. Then I read Azkaban. Then there started to be like really big gaps from the books. And by that time, like I think the gap between Goblet of Fire and Order of the Phoenix is like it's something crazy, like four years or something, or like mm-hmm. three years. And by that time, if you think about the age of like what I would have been, um, I would have pretty much gone from a like an early teen to like a late teen. So I ain't bothered about reading anymore, really. So I do. I think I remember skipping Order of the Phoenix because the book was. I think I got halfway through it and I, I found it dreadful anyway. Um, I, I watched them on. I watched the films and then I remember I watched the. Uh, I bought the Deathly Hallows on the night it came out. Um, so I queued up at midnight. Um, got it on the night it came out and literally stayed up all night and I think I'd finished it by kind of like 3pm the day after oh my god crazy okay. yeah crazy <laughs> um, I, I want to say I feel like Michael Jackson died during it I, right now I might be going crazy but I feel like Michael 2003 I'm pretty sh- no not 2003 2008 sorry because um, I actually <laughs> I did my work experience at Waterstones the week <laughs> Deathly Hallows came out speaking about books um so I was, so my sister used to work in like the delivery room and um, up in Waterstones and the amount of boxes we got for the launch of Deathly Hallows that midnight and the amount of books I had to scan in, not allowed to open it, look at the pages. Yeah, I was 16, year 11 in work experience when that came out. So. Right, so I'm, I am talking, I'm, well, I've just, I'm just double checked, I'm talking rubbish because um, Michael Jackson died in 2009, Deathly Hallows came out in 2007, so... I'm talking rubbish. Anyway, so so that's basically what happened. So I, I just stayed up and then and then I stopped reading because I was kind of just doing other things, kind of doing what the the girls were doing in in Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret. I was like, I guess started fancying girls, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then I went to university. This is a really long story. Sorry, digress. Kim's a <laughs> I'm a mere passenger in all of this. Um, so then I started in Starbucks as like just part time while I was at university, and my boss at the time put me on. He's like, "Oh, you like fantasy, do you?" I was like, "Yeah, yeah I love like love fantasy books." He put me onto um, a book called The Painted Man, which is called The Warded Man in America. Um, it's a book by Peter V. Brett. That. And a book called Way of Shadows by Brent Weeks got me back into reading. Like I'd, it was proper adult fantasy. Like I'd never really read fantasy that was just aimed at adults, um, because I'd read it like Hobbit. Obviously, adults can read it, but it's it's not. There's nothing truly like dark in there. Like, um, so yeah, that those two those two authors and books got me back into reading. David Gemmell. Um, there's a book called Legend by David Gemmell. Everyone will be everyone everyone of a certain age will be like yeah david gemmel man he's the one like david gemmel is the fantasy author the three the fa- the the legend of the 300 pager there's a book called legend and it's incredible and i would recommend anyone read it so so there you go and i've read no stephen king apart from the gunslinger the dark I've tower that the dark tower series yeah yeah you've read the whole series yeah. no i've just i've just read the gunslinger and i was pretty upset when um the dark tower came out because the idris elba one because one it's it was dreadful um, and two, apparently it just like molds all the books into one. And it's not even like a two hour movie, is it? No, it just like it skips through like all of like all of the books and different elements of the books because yeah, anyway, we're not gonna talk about that because I mean we are here to talk about um are you there? God it's me. Can Margaret. I just I forgot one person, but I'll be very quick. Go on. And it's kind of relevant. You don't need to be you don't need to be quick. Go for it. <laughs> so I forgot when I was a kid I used to absolutely love Jacqueline Wilson. 
I think that's probably like the British equivalent of those kind of like young teen sort of books for girls. I used to love, I had the only ones I can remember off the top of my head because like Bed and Breakfast Club, Load of Rose, The Illustrated Mum, but all of them. Do you know what? Perfect. Well, I've got a bit of a vendetta against Jacqueline Wilson. I don't know if you know about it, don't you? Yes, I just realised. Have you? Have I ever told? Did I tell you on the podcast? Did I tell you just as a friend? You just told me as a friend. Yeah. So <laughs> I remember crying, laughing at the time. Yeah. So so and in school, right? In school, there was there was a girl. Um, her name's Louise O'Keefe. So if you ever listen, then it wasn't very nice what you used to call me. And Louise O'Keefe in in year eleven used to call me. She used to she said. She used to say that I looked like a Jacqueline Wilson drawing, <laughs> which is like, I mean, like what, what a, that's, what a sick burn. Like that's, that's like, you could say it in front of your parents, you could say it in front of your teachers and it's devastating. Like what a devastatingly sick burn. I've been called, I've been called as a ginger person, I've been called everything under the sun over the years, but nothing hurts me as much as that. <laughs> you, you look like a Jacqueline Wilson drawing. Um, I bad for laughing, but it's just because... Do you know what, Kim? Well, I just pictured the, the bloody book covers with just the little dots for eyes, yeah. and that is it. And, and I'm like, yeah. what? Well, that, and, and, and that also links into something else, the fact that you said they've got dots for eyes, because my... A girlfriend a, a couple of exes ago used to say I had pea eyes, like little peas. So I, I get it now. I get it. I, I realise I've, I've obviously got tiny little eyes. Um, I don't think so. I think I've got normal size eyes. I think they're normal sized. <laughs> Thanks. Still Average eyes. Because... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll go get them measured. Um, so yeah, so so <laughs> there we go. Um, I look like a, cart- a cartoon drawing, apparently. Um, not even good. Do you know what would have been worse? Do you know what would have been worse? Um, Quentin Blake. If someone said, if you look like you look like a roll doll drawing, that would have been way worse. Um, yeah. Too many sharp lines. Definitely. Yeah. Disheveled. Like messy, just everything messy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You look, that's a, yeah. You look like a Quentin Blake drawn. Anyway, um, we're not here for that. And um, right. There's one thing we haven't, we, there's one thing we haven't spoke about. Um, a couple of things. Um, uh, we've got, um, playing, uh, Margaret's gran legend, absolute legend. Um, the legend being Kathy Bates, um, that I almost forgot as well. Um, not doing good, help again. I'm not doing good for names tonight. Um, so yeah, so the so the legend being Kathy Bates, she she you really I think she's the one you realise we see her at the beginning. Um, she's in all of her glory without a bright orange hair. Um, it's quite sad because they're leaving they're leaving um, the nan um, who's from the dad side, so the Jewish nan. They're leaving the Jewish nan um, in New York on her own. Um, and she's obviously very, very close with Margaret. And, and I think that relationship between the Nan and Margaret hit home for me quite a bit because I was extremely close to my Nan. Like, and that like Margaret's like of the age where she thinks her Nan's the, the coolest person in the world and the soundest person in the world. And they go to shows together and they hang out together. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's really sweet. Um, but we've, I think you realise um, she makes you feel like it's a comedy, doesn't she? Kathy Bates, like you realise it's like what line it's going down because Kathy Bates is there with her with her um, one-liners and her expert timing. Um, so yeah, that was that, I, I did find that extremely fun. And what, what did you think of the casting? Oh, it was so good. So well done. I think um, Kathy Bates, I love her anyway. She's an icon. Um, but yeah, she was perfect as that kind of 
like you say, she's really kind of funny throughout, but balancing that with her sadness of being away from the family and kind of wanting to get involved and then, you know, events that happen in the film that just are cringeworthy but funny but kind of sweet at the same time. Um, Rachel McAdams was brilliant. Everyone was brilliant, to be honest. Um, but as the mother figure, Rachel McAdams was great and she's just... Gotta love her. Kate Reviews Films writes in and she says... Is Rachel McAdams' peak female lead for likability? Um, Kate, did you just say Rachel McAdams is the female Tom Hanks? <laughs> um, I'm joking. I said I mostly made that joke for Kim because she really thinks Tom Hanks is not great. Oh, he's not a bad actor. He just bores me to death. So is he likable then? There you go. He's safe, isn't he? Is likable is different to safe, I think. Mm. I mean, I guess generally I'm probably in the vast minority in being annoyed by him to be honest but he can be great and he just i just want him to play like a villain or something he's just do something different don't yeah, play yeah. the all-american old man hero for once he's like the yeah. john cena he's like the john cena of the um of the of the film world and anyone who likes wrestling will get that but anyone who doesn't won't so waste the time really <laughs> um so yeah, I mean, uh, do you think that she's peak female lead for likability? Um, peak. I don't know. Like, she is very likable and she's great in it. But it's funny because it's like I feel like most people were introduced to her through Mean Girls when she wasn't. Yeah. So character. so I thought this as well when I when I when the question came in. One, my first thoughts was, I don't think about actors really in general as being likable. Like, I, they don't even. So I'm not really one for watching interviews. Like I don't really, unless I'm researching the film, so I don't, I don't really care um, about what these people are like. These what these multi multi millionaire people are like in in real life. I don't care. Just entertain me for my ten for my ten quid or the cinema nowadays twenty quid. Um, I'm joking. You pieces of meat. Enter, you're there. <laughs> Let me watch you. Um, <laughs> um, anyway, so so I, I never think of people like as likable. But so when I was thinking out, the first thing I thought was. Yeah, she's um she's in Mean Girls and she's uh yeah, like not very nice. But then since then though, I I then immediately go to About Time, which is probably one of the best kind of romantic. Is it a rom com? I don't know. Probably more romantic drama than rom com, but amazing. And she is very nice and likable in that. Is this but the again, one? Is it? I feel like I've is... seen. I feel like I've seen the trailer of this, and it looks like the best film ever. But then I'm like, nah, but this is not not oh, for it's me. So good. It's is very. It? It's a tearjerker. Very romantic and gushy, and you know, bit of a Sunday afternoon film type thing. Um, with, I don't know how to say his name. So sorry, Donald Gleason, Brenda Gleason's son, who's in Next Machina. Um, ah, yeah, Donald. 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 That's it. I, no, was... I don't really know. I don't, I'm going to be honest. I don't know. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it is. She's great in that as well. Like very likable and nice and smiley. There's kind of no, no bad things about her really. But I haven't seen enough of her to I mean, be love able to her say in Southport. Like I do love her in Southport. Um, um, yeah, I did watch that. Yeah, I mean, I. I'm, I'll be honest. I mean, I mean, she's obviously she's in the Notebook, isn't she? Which is uh, do you know when and what i did was basically when when i think of rachel mcadam she's never at the forefront of my brain like i like her she's great but when i really do think about likable female characters or just i guess actresses i feel i think of jennifer lawrence who 
I find her extremely likable. And I feel like... A lot of people hate her, though, now. Do they? A lot of people find her annoying. I think she's not helped herself with some slightly badly worded interviews lately, which I don't agree with what people are saying about her, but a lot of people found her annoying. Oh, what's she been saying? Oh, what's, the word, what's the word on the street, Kim? Well, no, it was a couple of months... Well, actually, before Oscars, I think, when she kind of misspoke when saying that she was one of the first kind of... Oh, heroines. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. She didn't mean that she was the very first one. People were just reading into it and were like, have you not seen Alien? It's like, well, of course she has. Give her a break. Alien. Give her a break, man. This like, like uh, do you imagine if I was in an interview. Like, imagine if I was in an interview and I'd, I'd had a couple of champagnes in the back. It's <laughs> over. The first interview's over for me. Like, my career's over. Because I'd, I'd be out there just, just saying all the things that my publicist tells me not to say or whoever it is that tells me what to say and what not to say. So I like the fact that I like her because she seems authentic yeah um, i really like her mila kuhn is very likable mm -hmm. these were these were the two people i i that was kind of in my head like quite quite likable people um yeah but yeah i guess i don't generally think of actresses or actors as yeah people yeah i probably would like to go to the pub with jennifer lawrence and just yeah throw up with her like just get wrecked um <laughs> throw up with her yeah like <laughs> yeah just be fun wouldn't it so yeah um but yeah, so what I would what I would say is Kelly Fremen Craig, she's two for two, mm. and it's two like for me nine out of ten bangers like yeah better than like so I, I would like it I really want this film to do well I think it's come out at a really bad time um, because it's mm. come out literally um, just as well who knew that Super Mario Brothers would be the the, the biggest grossing or well, like anima, animation of all time. Um, and obviously that other honking stinker, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Three. Um, so it's it's a bit of uh, if it was me, I slightly wouldn't have. Run, I'd, I feel this if they'd have if they'd have held off towards the end of the year, they could have picked up a couple of Oscars for this. Like the screenplay is absolutely superb. Don't write it off yet. It might. We, oh, well, I can't. I can't even think what else is coming out. But I think it is a bad time for it to come out now. But at the same time. Box office wise, it's not going to do particularly well, but there is a benefit to coming out at the same time as a big blockbuster that's Marvel, especially because so many people are sick of it. The contrast. What else is on? What else is on? Could we go see? Well, what's this? Not heard of this. Let's go watch that. Yeah, I would love it. I, I just, it, it must, it must. Listen, me, I've, I've, it's in my head now. It must, it must increase our busts. <laughs> you know, in, um, so there's obviously, I did want to speak about that as well. Um, it's in my notes um the there is a so i i remember this as well like so i feel like my mum and my nan would have would would go on about this when i was a kid and they would say like i must it must improve my bust but in the film it says they they're saying like oh this is the way to like because they're talking about this i mean so one of the comments that you made that you said you found very funny was about um yeah. the wizard hats <laughs> <laughs> so there is there is a what's what's the comment um they're talking about um they find a Playboy magazine, they're looking at the the women's boobs in it. Yeah. And they're like, Oh, they're so round, mine just look like wizard hats <laughs> Which as a eleven, twelve year old it just killed me that. <laughs> yeah, it's quite funny really, because all the things that these young girls are doing, I was definitely doing with my mates, my boy mates as well. Like our our friend's dad had a porno that he knew about under his bed and we made him go get it. And this is the second story about porn on this podcast. Like, <laughs> honestly, I'm okay. Um, we made him go get it. 
and um we were like yeah yeah go go get it you've got to go get it like mum and dad are out and we watched it on my you know there's like small tvs with the vcr built in yeah man that thing mine mine got rinsed to death like with the amount of vcr like vhs's i was smashing on that um like <laughs> films films um hopefully it's a long yeah and i remember i remember like he, he he brought this round and we just all sat on this little couch i had this little pull-out couch that would like when my friends stayed over they would they would stay out on the, the pull out the futon and so we, we were just like we're all sitting there as like young 14 year olds or 15 year olds just yeah sitting next to each other watching this and it's like your dad's <laughs> filthy mate <laughs> um, but yeah so um there was there's loads of stuff like that and the pressure and the feeling of when um they're going in the closet together and they have that kind of that that first kiss god remember your heart racing i think it captures the the essence of like um te- like even from a from my point of view like a, a a young teens it's 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 the it's the biggest thing in the world isn't it yeah At the time. i think it's it's that kind of it balances the you know the now it seems really cringy and we know what it's like and how awkward it was but like you say to them at that time at that age you feel like it's the biggest thing that's ever happening and you're just like oh my god this is the biggest moment of my life yeah and when you do look back at that stuff when it happened to you you're just like oh my god that is awful like your first kiss was always rubbish and sloppy oh horrendous isn't it like and right at the beginning when she sees the guy the boy with armpit hair she's like oh my god <laughs> like what the hell like not knowing that that's a thing yeah just yeah it's those weird little awakenings you have as a kid and it's just yeah everyone has that you can't not relate to that god i wish it was as simple as that now <laughs> some of, yeah my, my life's in town so simple back yeah. then <laughs> yeah exactly imagine imagine all i had to worry about was like i don't know kissing someone or wearing the right trainers uh yeah and now i'm just worried about like bills um, but anyway, um, before before we before I do, we do move on to the second film, which I'm actually excited to talk about with Kim mm. because it's one of her all time faves. Benny Safdie really surprised me in this. Um, I don't think I've seen him in a great deal when he has been in stuff. He's not exactly um, what's the word. He, he's not he's not a a leading man. You know, he's he's always mm. got just sm- smaller parts in like independent films, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Maybe I'm completely wrong. Um, I don't think I am. He's, he is. He is going to be an Oppenheimer, um, which is obviously a, yeah. a big one. I've only seen him in Good Time, um, yeah, and Licorice Pizza. Um, mm. So he, I thought his and I associate all I associate with the Safdie brothers is heart palpitations um, and freaking out and never wanting to watch their films again because <laughs> they freak me out. So. When it's, I, I love the fact that he, in this, I find him, he's very, he's a great dad, gentle, yeah, tender, does the right thing. Um, yeah, I, I loved it. I, I, so I, I actually thought his performance was fantastic. Yeah, no, he was such a lovable father figure in it. Like, yeah, he was great. Like, I think I, the only thing I can, I have seen Licorice Pizza, but I forgot he was in it. Uh, but Good Time is the only thing off the top of my head that I can think of. And obviously, very different performance. Yeah, um, no, definitely. But yeah, he was good. Anyway. Um, oh, I did actually have a question for you. You've about... got a question for Oh, God. Yeah. So You've not prepped it's... me for it, Kim. Well, no, it's it's a bit of a kind of... I'm only kidding. Go for it. in the dark. So, obviously, I know you love John Hughes. I um, do love John Hughes so much. And, you know, 
Kelly Frem and Craig is two from two now, very high scoring films. Probably too soon to be saying it, but do you think she's kind of, she's received the John Who's baton to carry on with the, you know, coming of age films just being... I'm quite glad you mentioned it because I've been like, so I do know that John Hughes is um, a really big influence of hers. So when she wrote um, Edge of Seventeen, she cites John Hughes as, as one of the, and so the way in which she shows teens and the way she captures that slice of life in the moment, uh, Amy Heckling, John Hughes, I, I don't know. I'm, it's, it's crazy because like, obviously everyone knows like my favorite films like Dirty Dancing, which is nothing to do with any of these films. Obviously Breakfast Club is like right up there. Like, mm. um, but yeah, there's something about, I think, I think maybe it's just cause I just don't want to grow up really. There's something about, I, I just love teen comedies and like coming of age stuff. Um, I, I really hope so. I think she's got it. She, she started, so she started early on in her career, um, writing comedy sketches and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's, she's she's written more than she's directed obviously I, I i hope i hope to god i really i hope to god she's she's great i, I love her i was i've been so yeah <laughs> weird i've been trying desperately to get her on the podcast like i spoke to her so she yeah i did speak to her and she responded to me a little while ago and we had a very short back and forth um so i was like ah she knows i exist so maybe i can just keep trying and she <laughs> she might come on because and hence why i wanted to cover the film early which we don't normally do so i wanted to cover the film uh, the day it comes out and and this is why i said to you like please can we do it like i knew you were going to see it and you were the only you were the only person i knew that would even be interested in either seeing it this early and doing the pod and could actually speak about it properly so um yeah um so i, I hope so like I, I love these i love these kinds of films and she seems to she really knows what works in terms of comedy like the the way when especially when she's writing and directing i think when she's been writing on her own and not directing um i don't i mean there's there's a very small piece of information we could look at but it's not i don't think the film worked as well as when she knows what she's directing if that makes sense when she writes it doesn't does it when she writes something and directs it it works because she knows how it's going to look but when she's writing and writing for someone else, maybe it it hasn't been as successful. Let's say, but that was a long time ago. So there's been a years gap between that, and and again, like we say, between Edge of Seventeen and this, there's been many years gap. She's going to be doing another project soon, um, which is another adaptation um, of a book, and and yeah, that's I think that's more current. So very exciting. So I hope so. I think I think she she may have had a a son in between the films or something. I don't know. And so maybe she's yeah. been doing other things, but. I'm so excited. I, I hope she carries on directing. And I think the fact that she's, um, this this is getting rave reviews everywhere. Yeah. And just go and see it, man. Just go and see it. Go and, <laughs> the best thing you can all do is just go and see the goddamn film. We've not even spoiled it. And it's, and there's, there's, there's th- bits that will make you laugh, cry. And yeah, the, the cinema was roaring with laughter. There was a man that was like, like the 45 year old man, like, like about two rows in front of me that was constantly laughing about it um and this yeah it's a film for everyone definitely it's my favorite of the year so far for sure oh it's by country mile what's your second rye lane oh which is on movie now i think no it's not it's uh, on disney plus now right this is it yeah so uh, I, I will watch that this weekend yeah it's like a london version of kind of before sunrise but more fun it's probably the right i love before sunrise one of my favorite films but 
it's not a fun film let's be honest that's been mentioned in the like many episodes on this pod and i still haven't seen it so yeah um rye lane i will i'm gonna try and watch it tomorrow so there we go 90 another 90 minute banger i know how long these yeah. films are because i know where i can squeeze them in yeah <laughs> right kim i gave you i gave you lots of 70s book adaptations we spoke about mm-hmm. stuff like the exorcist deliverance but we were like this is not really gonna fit i, I basically threw the baton to kim and um, because i was like as you're the guest you get to choose so what did you choose kim for our 70s 90s 70s book to film adaptation i chose rumblefish by francis Ford coppola from 1983, one of my favorite films ever. I don't understand, why do you hate him so much, huh? Well, I hate him so much because you kids think he's something he's not. You always try so hard to be like your brother, Rusty James. Hey, my brother's the coolest. What if the motorcycle boy came back and found out? My brother ain't back, man, all right? I don't know when he's coming back, if he's coming back, so if you assholes want to wait around for the rest of your life to see what he says, fine. Um, yeah, I think Exorcist, Deliverance, we did a lot of heavy films last time. Oh, we did. This isn't the lightest film, but it's not heavy like those two, so yeah. And I couldn't pass up an opportunity to talk about this one, to be honest. Um, and I'm very excited to hear your thoughts on it. And I think you liked it quite a bit. Yeah, I did. I, I mean, I'm going to say something slightly controversial that you you won't like. Um, so mm-hmm. the film was like nowhere near what I expected it to be. It was not what I expected it to be at all. Um, let's shall we shall we give a quick synopsis of of what the film's about before um, yeah before before we before I dive into it because it's a it's a black and white. Um, and it's essentially, it reminded me a lot in the beginning um, of West Side Story. Um, I, f- I had those like kind of vibes. It's about Rusty James, who is played by Matt Dillon. Gorgeous. <laughs> Gorgeous. Uh, he is um, basically a, a, a street thug in a gang. Um, he's a street thug in a gang. Um, and he struggles. He's he's trying to live up to his uh, brother's reputation. So he's, he's got an, an older brother, somehow played by Mickey Rourke. And I'm just struggling to find Mickey Rourke's face in Mickey Rourke's face in 1983 because <laughs> it just does not look like Mickey Rourke um, at oh, all. It's so different. Yeah, it's looks quite good. <laughs> it's it's honestly wild. Um, it, I, he had a bit of the Kiefer Sutherland's about him, I think. Um, so and it's basically it's it follows rusty james trying to live up to his brother's name like as a, as a gang member um i would say he's a gang member yeah um it's filmed uh it's it is black and white it is um very stylish and that's so that's the thing that i was just not expecting i was not expecting it to be i wrote down here a few things um that it it's you've got like a time lapse piece um they talk about time a lot actually like and oh there's a there's a there's a quote that's incredible actually i loved it Okay, that's what I want to say. I want to say I, I want to say I loved it. Sorry, I, I realise I haven't said that yet. I loved it. I thought it was great, and Good. I want to watch it again and again because I need to. I need to watch it a few times. I think um, to get more from it. Um, so yeah, what? Um, wh- where did you see it? Kit first came, and what? Like, why do you love it so much? Um, I remember when I was, I think I was in my first year of uni or maybe college. Um, a friend of a friend mentioned it 
and me being me at that age thinking I knew everything about film at that point I was like oh it's a film I've never heard of back then I didn't know anything how cringe how cringe were we how cringe were we back then so cringe I was like I've seen everything yeah I've seen all the good films and then a film by one of the biggest directors ever (laughs) I've not even heard of um so it was just one of them that kind of stuck in my head and then it popped up again a couple of years later. I was like, oh, that's that film. I'll watch that, I think, when I just used to sit and watch films all night. And I remember really liking it on the first watch, but then on my second watch, God, maybe five years ago, I was like, nah, this is incredible. And it's got probably one of my favourite shots of all time in it. Um, yeah, so you said this to me. Second. Sorry, you said this to me and I was like, I was like, I wonder what shot it is. There's so many good shots in that Yeah, film. yeah, there is. Um, but the specific one is really close to the beginning and um, it's so short because it's... Um, so it's when they're going into the warehouse to go for the fight um, and they're all in a line walking, the camera's kind of looking up at them and a dove flies over just as it like spreads its wings and they're all just positioned in this way. It's just... It's like Reservoir Dogs meets some like art house french thing like it's just amazing it gives yeah. goosebumps every time and i like i think i found like a slow-mo gif of it online i was like i'm just gonna watch that over and over again um but there are so <laughs> every single shot in that film is so meticulously done because it's really high contrast black and white as well it's so it's a lot of shadows that is it chiaro scuro it's called whatever very film noir. White blacks white whites yes so it's you know every bit has its purpose in each shot so there's a lot of good shots in it, but that one in particular, I just, mm, chef's kiss, that one, love it. Yeah, I mean, so an interesting part about that then was that uh, I obviously had to do a lot of research on this film because I didn't really know much about it. I, I do, so uh, Francis Ford Coppola, whatever you want to call him, Coppola, Coppola, I've not seen that many of his films. So obviously I've seen uh, Godfather 1 and 2, I haven't seen 3, um, mm. but what I was going to say that's definitely extraordinarily controversial is that the film he did pretty much a year before it, um, The Outsiders, mm-hmm. um, I prefer. So I do prefer The Outsiders. And when I say I prefer it, I love The Outsiders. I think it's, I think it's superb. Um, and so there was, so he, from, from this film, so what, what happened was both films are written by, um, susan eloise hinton right um so this this would have been a a, an amazing um theme for the pod we i I realized after how how well we've nailed this so um and and we we definitely did it on purpose so um (laughs) se hinton right so female female writer from the 1970s she wrote the outsiders and she wrote rumblefish Mm -hmm. um francis ford coppola adapted both and obviously yeah margaret is also um from judy bloom so two female writers being adapted um so he did the outsiders and then he, he basically said to them he wanted to go straight from the outsiders to rumblefish but the studio said no and it's really funny because i'd forgotten like coppola had directed outsiders and when i was watching this film i was like this really does remind me of the outsiders like yeah in in certain ways the directors completely differently and um, the studio said no and they were like no you, you can't go from the outsiders to rumblefish um so we went and got someone under the studio to finance it which is hilarious now he is um i think he's a little bit difficult to work with um from from what i from what i know 
Um, yeah. And so the person that he got to do the cinematography for this, Stephen uh, Baum, I think, um, they had a good relationship. So he basically, uh, Coppola said, like, I, wa I, I want to choose the shots. I want control, blah, blah, blah. And so they just kind of work together as opposed to what usually happens is you'd see a, a film by Roger Deakins and mm. not even knowing that the film was like he was the cinematographer you'd know it was he was the he was the man behind the camera because he's got such a definitive style so yeah i found that really interesting um i found that the fact that it, it felt like a bit of a stage play so there was there was so many different elements to this like i was like it feels like the outsiders it feels like a, a, a theater play it feels like west side story it feels like rebel without a cause like it really had all of those things and i think that the although the there's not a massive plot really mm. this how stylish it is and the direction and the dutch angles that the are used like it's crazy like really good I, I i had a lot of fun watching it yeah it's yeah it's definitely one see i've not seen the outsiders which is probably really bad but i do know that a lot of people think it's a sequel because it's the same author of the book they could be definitely okay. definitely could be um the, the, yeah, the, the, I, I only... Spiritual sequel, isn't it? They're the, not... The Outsiders has got a lovely little 4K release now um, or a, a, yeah. a new restored Blu-ray. Um, so it's it's definitely it's definitely worth watching. I, I love The Outsider. But but I love these kinds of films with mm. sort of like, yeah. Um, oh, it reminds me of a little bit of like, is it, I feel I want to say over the top or is that the one with Sylvester Stallone? <laughs> I think it is. I think um, no. <laughs> which would be Which would be terrible. Um because this is nothing like the film um, Over the Top. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll remember it in a minute. But anyway, so I, yeah, I think overall that there's a, there's a lot of like big actors in it as well. Like, um, oh, the cast is insane. Yeah. Um, so I was sorry, I was talking about Over the Top with Sylvester Stallone. Ignore that because that's not <laughs> the film. Um, and I'm going to try and remember it. So Over the Edge. So it reminds me of Over the Edge. So I think that The Outsiders, Over the Edge and Rumblefish, like have a little... Yeah. I don't think I'd know Over the Edge. Over the Edge is great. It's a 1980s film. It's also got a really good Arrow release, so I'd, I'd recommend that. Um, nice. But yeah, so um, it's it's quite interesting, really. Like, the... Like, it's... the Rumble, So, Rumblefish was published in 1975. Um, we think it's set in the late 60s, but it never really... Um, it never really, like, it specifies. Um, but it takes place over the course of five years, apparently. Which I think maybe that's the book adaptation and not the film because the film feels very just yeah yeah the film feels maybe a few days if that if yeah. that maybe a little bit longer when it kind of goes to the second half of the film because it feels I feel like it jumps a little bit after like the party and um, yeah. it's funny because so so what do so we've got we have got a question that's um, that's quite interesting because it was something that was with me the whole entire film so um david ellis writes in and he says rumblefish has an experimental music score from stuart copeland and it wasn't well received at the time personally i love it as in david loves it so do i um the question is does the music for a film always have to be of that period as long as it sets the right mood or tone for the film several examples spring to mind heath ledger dancing to david bowie's golden years in a knight's tale which i haven't seen Jean-Michel Jarre's 1970s electronic music Oxygen blasting out across the desert during World War One setting of Gallipoli or Patrick Swayze, yes, singing 1980s ballad She's Like the Wind 
during Dirty Dancing in the 1960s. So the question was, because I realised I went on, does the music for a film always have to be of that period as long as it sets the right mood or tone for the film? Um, personally, when it comes to pop songs, I don't like it. Do you know what? Okay, cool. Well, this is good. Um, it dep- Like, there'll probably be an example sometime that I will end up liking, but see, when it... So my prime example is Buzz Lerman, right? One of my big problems with his films is the use of modern songs, like Great Gatsby with... I can't even think. Is it Jay Z over the top of a 1920s? 99 Problems, but a bitch ate one in Great Guys Gatsby. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. It's just like, I don't, I don't, I didn't like it. It's really jarring for me. But if it's a score, it's just music written for the film, I'll have less of an issue with it. If it fits, it fits. It's like 1917, for example. So 1917 has got like a really like electronic style score, which works really well. I don't think that's not an issue for me. It's pop songs. In I think the kind of pop song soundtrack is so overdone these days as well. So I'm probably a little bit more, like maybe ten years down the line, I might not be as bothered. But um, there is a yeah. So so yeah, they, Mar- they need to be picked well for it to work. Can I tell you and, one that's picked well? Yeah. How about "Gimme Shelter" by the Rolling Stones, which was which was actually from 1965. That was in Goodfellas. And Goodfellas is set in 1955. Maybe that's like too too short of a gap. Is it too short of a gap? Because it goes well. It's the bit where um, yeah. it's the bit where uh, he's, what, who's the main character? Can't remember his name, but he's getting slapped across the face. Just yeah. he's, he's like really coked up at the time. And you've got Django Unchained. Django Unchained is a good example. So they're singing. Um, so they've got like a Rick Ross and a Tupac song, and a John Legend song. But Tarantino does that quite often as well. Yeah, true. I think he does it quite well. It's true. I think maybe it's this, you know, I don't know. Because I've watched a couple of Baz Luhrmann movies recently. I think that's what's stuck in my head. Um, and I've not seen A Night's Tale either, but the thought of a David Bowie song over a medieval setting is just a bit, like, eye-rolly to me. Um, but I just get a bit... <laughs> so it's just reminded me, it's just reminded me of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Um, the, the fact that um, Brian Adams wrote the song for that and... Um, what a film so anyway sorry I'm, I, I, I do love that what film. a film um, but yeah I think because people use pop songs in films so much now it's big time isn't like it? Mm. all guidance with the galaxy's fault oh, to be needle honest drops. even though it worked needle drops are great but they've got to be they got to have purpose another film which really wound me up although it was time specific was Fear Street 94 which had a needle drop every three minutes. I've not seen that, actually. Ugh, I, a lot of people liked it, but I... Well, the series they liked, I didn't have much time for it, to be honest. But it was just exhausting. Like, how many times do you need to tell us you're in the 90s? Like, we know. But that is time-specific, so it's different. But I don't know. If it works, I guess it works. But I'm not... I don't know. Not for me. Yeah. I, it's, it's got... I think it's got to... It does have to... Um, just be picked correctly, I guess. It doesn't really bother me. For example, She's Like the Wind, when Patrick Swayze, obviously it's a 1980s. Well, it's just a banger, isn't it? Like, that film, as much as I love it. I was so hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Careful, careful how you step, Kim. I've already told you this before when I did watch Oh, have you gone? I'm pretty sure I did. If you don't remember, then so I was, But <laughs> one of my 
few gripes with it, or probably the only gripe, was that I didn't even realise it was set in the time it was because it they'd make no effort to make it look like the, the 1960s. It's just an 80s film. So I was like, oh, okay, this isn't the 80s. Like, that was the only scene that kind of... So I'm not really bothered about this music and that. It not being from the 60s. Yeah, okay, cool. I'll take that. I'll take it. I'll take it on the chin like a man. Um, anyway, here's a little... He's here's... booted off then. Oh, no, he's fine. Yeah, <laughs> he's fine. I'll f- um, just so you know, view, uh, listeners, I'm going to be finishing the pod alone. Um, <laughs> well, Rumblefish, one star. Um, sorry. Uh, so Django Unchained, 2012. Here's a good little goof for you. In the Cleopatra Cub, the patrons singing a song that includes a lyric about peanut butter. The film takes place in 1958. Peanut butter, as it is known today, was not invented until 1884. Get a grip, Quentin. Anyway, so there's a little goof for you. Um, so yeah, to answer your question, David, yeah, it's all right. It's all right when it works, I guess. It's all right when it works. Um, so, which is not really a definitive answer, but you've had a little discourse on it, so you can it's make, it's make your mind up time. Um there we go. I don't know why I did that in a Manchester accent, but there we go. Um, right. So um, the I guess the last few little bits then is um, we've got a question here, which it was it's a pure Kim question actually. Rumblefish Mickey Rourke or the wrestler Mickey Rourke? Pick one. Um, in what sense? I guess is the question. Okay. Let's. I'm so. I'm, can I choose? So we're gonna go with hot hot sense. So. Who's who's the hottest? Was it is it Rumblefish Mickey Rock or the wrestler Mickey Rock? Of course it's Rumblefish Mickey Rock. What? Are you joking? Oh, the wrestler Mickey Rock. His um weird sausage finger to the wrestler. <laughs> yeah, he has, yeah. Over. Yeah. Um bit like Prince Charles, uh King Charles even. King after the coronation. Um yeah, he's much more attractive with Rumblefish. Um, but performance wise, wrestler all the way, he's a camera. I thought so. I found his um, performance in Rumblefish like very strange, and 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 actually, let's let's talk about that a little bit. I would also pick the performance of the wrestler. I do think it's mm-hmm. better, and I think he's sexier in the wrestler too. But that's for another podcast um, after nine pm. Um, but what I would say is about about him is that he so he's really softly spoken throughout the whole the whole thing. Like he's got this like. Yeah, but that's that's not very nice. Like, and no matter what's happening, like he could he could be getting beaten to death. He's like, yeah, stop stop doing that. Stop stop punching me. Stop stop stabbing me. So like, it's like that's what he's like the whole time. And so I found the performance and the character quite weird. He, um, his name's the motorcycle boy. So he he doesn't really have a name in it. He, I feel like he's always on the periphery of everything. So. I was actually thinking that he was going to be a ghost. So I was like, where's this film going? What is it? And I was like, is, is, is he a ghost? Like, is he actually there? Because um, he doesn't seem to really connect with anything. And it's almost like he's in purgatory. So it's almost like he... So this And this was my take from the film, and maybe I'm crazy. I felt like he was uh, maybe like a figment of... Not a figment of... Um, matt dylan's imagination but maybe his brother had died and he was trying to like i guess live up to him or it just it just felt like he was there or never really there that's how it felt and that he was yeah so this is what i got from it anyway and it turns out that we will spoil this film so spoilers for rumblefish 1983 (laughs) it it, like it does feel like yeah he 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 isn't 
really there like and i felt like he was a kind of a ghost and matt dylan was trying to like avenge him by being better and like i don't know it's a weird um i think i got quite a lot out of this rewatch i think it's the third time i've seen it now um and i so with him being really softly spoken he's really softly spoken but the audio i don't know if you've got it i don't know if it was just the version i was watching or what but i feel like his audio was recorded differently to everyone else. It's so clear and louder mm-hmm. that it's like this little voice of reason because he's come, he comes back to help basically say to his brother that this life of fights and gangs and stuff isn't what he should be doing. Um, but then at the same time, you find out that he is colorblind. Yeah. And um, he has random periods of deafness so it's like half told from his point of view but half told from rusty james's point of view it's like a weird amalgamation of their perceptions it's really strange so i feel like he's almost like a godlike character yeah for his brother it's really interesting um but yeah it's an interesting dynamic for sure yeah this is yeah and so i spoke about i did speak about time earlier like time i feel like so uh, there's a few time feels like it's if you feel like it's a chris nolan film it's like a running thread throughout the whole film from there's many clocks to a specific quote to the fact that the score that we mentioned earlier this there is a there is a score that is just going on all the time whether it's dripping taps which sound like a ticking clock whether it's um, and and naturally the the Stephen Copeland, I believe, uh, Stuart Copeland, um, he was at he was actually sorry he was actually a drummer. What's that, Kim? It's the kitchen towel. Ah, all it's good. On the other side of my bedroom wall. No worries. So. Cats, cats getting himself a little drink. Um, anyway, so um, <laughs> and clever cats. Um, anyway, uh, so yes, yeah, so Stuart Copeland that that was a drummer that did the score who'd never done a score before the mm-hmm. the score is so unique and it's like constant like it sounds like a drummer's done a score like loads of tapping yeah. ticking um loads of quite experimental sounds and so when we when we hear that we there's th- that's when the 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 through line of time comes kind of to fruition for me and that's when i was thinking of yeah is is his brother dead is mm. is this is this all just going on in his head or, or whatever and so um I did have like the the quote in here that it's it's heart it's heartbreaking to think in this way, but it's mm-hmm. from the barman or the the man in the is it the the, the billions place? So there's a, oh, they they go to Tom some Waits. Who, what's it called? It, he's Tom Waits. Tom Waits. Okay, sorry. He he's Tom Waits. And um, anyway, so and he waits for no one because he's talking about time all the time. So he's a uh, terrible. That's awful joke. Um. When they when when we see the billiards room, that's when I knew I'd love the film. As soon as I see a billiards room, I was like, "Yeah, this is going to be like teen, like angst." Um. Anyway, so he says time is a very peculiar item. Um. And like when you're young and a kid, you've got loads of time. You throw away a couple of years here, throw away a couple of years there, and it doesn't matter. The older you get, you think, "Jesus, I got thirty five summers left." And like to to quantify that, so like for a for a 70 year old to say i've got 10 summers left that's such a small amount of time or i've got 35 summers left to think about it in such a uh 
that's a brutal way so yeah that that i found really interesting and i often find stuff like that interesting in general um but anyway so we've got dennis hopper who's who's great in this we've got matt dillon as well but why kim kim uh, kate writes in is why is matt dillon so unbearably attractive <laughs> which i accidentally read as matt damon i was like are you all right kate <laughs> yeah don't know about unbearably but no matt dillon agreed although um not so much maybe in the house that jack built but yeah he's just ridiculous in i don't know <laughs> it's funny when kate said that because i had actually said um I said, like, he's so good looking, isn't he? Like, I don't, obviously, I don't mind saying a man's good looking. I can appreciate an, another man's good looks, like Patrick Swayze. Like, do you know what I mean? If he was yeah. still alive, um, <laughs> let's do things to him. Um, but yeah, create like, so I, I was, I said, I, I literally said, like, he's so handsome, isn't he? Um, yeah. And like, he, it's funny because he, he's an, he's an example of like, you know, men are, we all know that men, are generally applauded for getting better looking with age you know like it's a mm-hmm. it's a thing it's impossible for him it's like and it, it's it's and it's same it's the same thing there's only another man there's one more man that like i'm like it's impossible for you as well and that's john travolta in greece right oh yeah he's john, well. <laughs> john travolta in greece like he's an 11 and i'm like son it's it's there's nothing you can do about this it's all downhill from here because there's no way you're getting better with age because you are no, you are possible. unbelievably attractive in this like his his face is yeah crazy so why is matt dylan so unbearable i don't know kate but he is he's nice and chiseled just he's got a good body hasn't he where he wears that really tight white vest yeah, yeah. not too muscly too yeah many muscles is not good too many muscles is not good apparently you heard it here no. first yeah cool mm-hmm. yeah I'll, I'll stop hitting the gym uh, <laughs> uh the reason that's funny listeners because you don't really go to the gym so there you go anyway right cool so um rumblefish very good i very much enjoyed it francis ford coppola um smashed out of the park after the outsiders when the outsiders definitely bombed and so one thing i did see see think was quite um it was definitely wasn't amusing but quite um apt was that Francis Ford Coppola made this for teenagers. So again, here we are. We've got someone doing the same thing in in the nineteen eighties. Is is what Kelly Freeman Craig's doing now is making this film for people of this age, I guess. Like, and mm. because it people can relate to it. Francis Ford Coppola did the same thing, and he's like, I, I wanna, I'm gonna make a film that I want teenagers to relate to, and he showed it to teenagers, and really not a good reaction. Like they hated it. But it's quite an arty film, isn't it? I'm very arty. For, for, the, for those that did like it, it's like a gateway into that art cinema because it uses a very European style as well. Uh, but it did... I'm so glad you mentioned the European style. Carry on, sorry. So, yeah. You're so glad it did what? Sorry. Um, I don't know what I was glad about. Sorry, <laughs> I've, I've cut you off, haven't I? Um, sorry. But I was just going to say, because I think it also bombed. So I think the budget was like 10 million, but it made like not even three. Wow, okay. Back. So, yeah, but it's you know it's... yeah it's really interesting it was inspired so so what the interview that i watched is inspired heavily by seconds by frankenheimer um citizen kane um suspicion by hitchcock loads of there's lots of like german expressionist stuff in there as well like so the last laugh mm-hmm. by murnau from um 1924 like 
um, M. So M was another like from Fritz Lang, uh, Pandora's Box from Pabst. Um, there's yeah, there's loads and like in just silent era in Germany in general. So there was loads of that kind of um, inspiration in there. And 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 I love Coppola for that. The fact that he's made a film like this. So he made The Outsiders, and then he's made a film that's like The Outsiders, but completely different. Like it's really really cool. I, do you know what I mean, like, I know that's yeah. how reductive. Really, really cool. It's kind of, it's one of those films, I don't know if you've heard the term going around on Instagram, but um, no plot, just vibes. Like, it's just yeah, so, yeah. I mean, there is a bit of a plot. There is a plot there, but its visual side, but its visual style is its kind of main thing about it that makes it so good, I think, because it is so well done like it's a visual masterpiece for me i yeah i can't fault it oh it's a feast for the eyes like the 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 scene when it's funny because you mentioned your favorite scene i do realize now in my notes um i um i wrote it down so i I wrote this word for word scene walking towards the camera white dove shadow of the cat (laughs) (laughs) ah here we go reminds me a lot of the beat it video so that's what it reminded me of so yeah it really really reminded me of um michael jackson's uh beat it so th- th- that is um i don't know if anyone's seen the uh the video to beat it but that 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 video came out in 1982 so the year before and yeah so i had i had a, um, a michael jackson vhs obviously and it had like a big gold statue of michael jackson on it and it had pretty much every single one of his bangers. And I tell you now, and it, it was all in like video form. And then there was like a bit of a live performance with like Slash. And I was abs- absolutely obsessed. I think my sister had that actually. <laughs> Find out. Yeah, ask her. Just say, uh, what was it called? I feel like, ah, oh, no, never I can't mind. I remember, but yeah, I'm pretty sure I remember having that. So it was unreal. So I had that. And I remember it start the film, it basically started off with Billie Jean. Then it started off with Beat It. And like thriller, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But that that in that warehouse with them fighting, there's a, like a knife fight where they never make any contact. Um, and that is that is exactly like um, the out, um, not the outsiders. God, look at me. Uh, that is exactly like Rumblefish. So it wouldn't surprise me if Rumblefish that specific scene was really inspired by um, that beat video. I would love to know if anyone knows. Anyone out there? Let us know. Let us know. <laughs> yeah, um, we've got one last question. Have you got anything else to say about Rumblefish before we before we skedaddle? Um, nothing of kind of meaning. I just wanted to know if you spotted Sophia Coppola in it. So I saw that she was in it afterwards. Yeah, and no, I didn't spot her. So she, so who is she? She's um, the younger sister of Patty, the really goofy one who like loves Rusty James. Right. Oh, That's right. It. Yeah. No, I didn't. Yeah. Oh. Oh. <laughs> god the really goofy one yeah 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 brutal but yeah i i I do know who she is now yeah she was funny um yeah no i did i didn't yeah that's that's nice isn't it dad giving daughter some work you know and uh pocket money nephew with nick cage can't talk can't not mention nick cage being in it this was his first this was his first film right i think it was one of them yeah He's not a yeah. He's a side character, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, it's, it's really good. It's really good. And and again, nice little ninety minutes, like Swift Watch. It's mm-hmm. it's yeah, superb score, superb performances. It, what what can I say? It's been on my list for a long time. I think probably because of you anyway. 
um, because I feel like it's, it was in your top 100. It would have been, yeah. Yeah. So Cool. Well, so that was when you were like, that's another one added to the list. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, bef- before we leave, like th- this is a, a pretty funny thing, actually, like um, me and Kim have gone like me and Kim have gone on completely different film journeys. I feel like everyone has a specific journey. They gravitate towards specific films. Kim's Kim's like Kim posted like a top 100 favorite films. And I think I'd seen about 30 of them. Well, maybe a bit more than that, but it, there was like loads there that I'd never even heard of. What was the? There was one. What was the Australian one? Horrible one. It's on. It's on Arrow Blu-ray. The the wolves. Um, no. So it's it's about a girl getting abducted by these two people, and she gets tied to a bed. Again, oh, Hounds of Love. The Hounds of Love. I'm like, yeah, yeah that sounds good. Watched it. And I was like, harrowing. Um, but yeah, there's there's loads of films on Kim's list that I've I've just never seen and. And I've obviously went down the 1980s action slash martial arts route, um, which, yeah, is uh, hilarious. So, I've, yeah, thank you for this recommendation. It was good. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. It's, uh, yeah, been a good laugh as usual. Hope we've done the films justice. Go and see Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret. Read the book. Yes, get to the cinemas and see it. Support it, for sure. Anything you want to sign off with, Kim? Have you got a festival coming up, maybe? Yes, so on the 17th of June and 18th um, at Coltplex in Manchester, um, myself, well, my good friend Gary is hosting a horror festival called Gasp, um, focusing on minority filmmakers. Um, I'm helping him with that. So tickets are on sale, lots of short films, um, a mystery queer classic and a fifth anniversary screening of climax as well um you can get day passes weekend passes individual film passes um yeah we're proper plugging it and it's going to be great so anyone that's in manchester or nearby wants to come go onto instagram gasp the festival um actually let me just double check the handle before i well you can go and get your tickets at gasphorrorfestival.co.uk yeah, Gasp Horror Fest on Instagram. There's a link there and it's got um, some trailers um, and promos for all the films that are being shown as well. So give them a follow too. Um, but yeah, looking forward to that. It's not long now. <laughs> so, I mean, it's pretty exciting, isn't it? Like, what? Yeah. A month, just over a month away. Just over a month. So, yeah, I'm excited. Very good. Um, and where can they find you, Kim? You can find me on Instagram at kims.cinema.escape. Um, yeah. Posting my favourite films from every year I've been alive at the moment because I'm running out of ideas. So, <laughs> this, yeah, well, I'm excited to see loads more films that I've never seen. <laughs> I've obviously, as always, um, I've been at movies in a pod shell. You can find us on Instagram. Um, you can find uh, part time member John um, at jcb.video. Um, do you know what I mean? He's, he's here, he's there, he's everywhere. Like, he sometimes comes on the pod is even a member anymore who knows a member like it's a club it is a club and to join that club you've got to go on spotify and apple and you've got to go and rate us five stars guess what we only accept five stars if you give us any less then i'll be pretty unhappy and i'll probably write you a strongly worded email apart from that though kim thank you so much for donating your time to us thank you for having me back it's was great fun well it won't be the last time of course i I hope not no it won't be it won't be um, but no, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, I guess f- go watch some films. 
geeks. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. Bye.